been here for centuries, waiting for the right time to show themselves. By planning thoughts in the minds of men like Galileo, Newton, Edison, Einstein, and Steven Spielberg, they have prepared the human race for the inevitable encounter. Now, they are coming. They are coming for you. Run, but first close your windows, hide your apples, prepare for the attack of the android. And now, your host and the human leader of the android underground, Matt Lee. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Wednesday, November 23rd, 2011. Episode 10 of Attack of the Androids. Joining me tonight, got a great cast, Eric. Diva Eric, what's going on, man? Diva Eric, I'm so happy to be here. Diva Eric on. Diva Seth, go. Guys, good to be here. Diva Joey, go. Good to be here tonight. Great, I'm going to start every show like that from now on. This is the Diva Cast, brought to you by GroovyPost.com. Please no. Please no. (laughs) I want to say, if you guys ever have any voicemails you want to leave us, you can do that, 406-204-4687. We'll play those live on the show. Uh, We're going to try eventually to do some live shows here for you. I think that would be kind of neat, have a little chat room going, have people come in and uh, share their thoughts with what we're talking about, mainly focusing on Republic Wireless and uh, religion this evening. So, Attack of the Androids, episode 10. Uh, in the episode nine, we were talking about Google Music and stuff, and I kind of, I, I wasn't very impressed with it, and then I started doing some research, and as far as, you know, just being another music shop, I think, okay, that's good competition, uh, for iTunes and for Amazon, I think that needs to be there for sure. What they're doing for the artists, though, is what I'm really intrigued by, being a, a fledgling hip-hop artist in Kalispell, Montana myself, I find this really Really interesting. They're, they're, first of all, they're doing a 70-30 cut, which is, as far as I understand, way more than what any of the other places offer. Uh, and I'm proud to say that I actually bought my very first album online ever in my life of being on the internet and having a pretty substantial music collection. I like. Matt, how, how did you get that collection, Matt? Uh, friends, I've ripped CDs that I used to spend my whole week's worth of allowance on when I was a kid. I'm just allegedly, kidding. and then allegedly uh, getting them off of uh, BitTorrent, which is allegedly. the place to go. I mean, I'll have to say anything <laughs> you want is there allegedly, as long as you uh, can be smart about it. Yeah, in an unrelated story, internet traffic took a, a dangerous dip this week. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I like the uh, how they incorporated it into the Android market. Like, you can just go right there and boom, there's all the music. And and you know what happened? Honestly, I couldn't find this album on BitTorrent for the longest time. It was a Sweatshop Union album. They're a Vancouver hip-hop group. And they had it on there, and I just so happened to have some cash in my PayPal account. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to support these guys. Even though I've gone to their concerts, I've paid for you know all that stuff, I've gotten their autographs in my, my notebook and all that stuff. Like I'd, I support them in other ways. I just don't buy the MP3s, you know? But So I did this because I couldn't find it on BitTorrent, which is an interesting uh, switch. And it was, the experience was beautiful. Like, it, it was there, it was on my phone instantly. It, it was so easy. 
you can rate and review. I, I think they did a really good thing with it. So I just I just wanted to start the show off by saying I, I've turned my uh, opinion on, on Google Music. And once my album's done, I'm really interested to get a page made for it and to get it out there. Uh, hey, Matt, using, can you, are you on Google Plus right now? Uh, I Yes. You, can you share that? I Because they, they have the new sharing options, don't they? With that yeah, I did when I first got it. Oh, did you? Okay, I'm going to go look and find yeah, you. Yeah, it should be. Here's a, I'll give you the link to the, the page. You should find it on. Because we, we're going to do a live test of how this sharing works. Okay, yeah. This is supposed to be one of the coolest new features that people have been talking about. Yeah, and it's up, as far as I understand, it's up to the artist if you want to share a 90-second clip or one full play of the thing. Now, some people were saying that how that makes it, if you share the full clip, you can pirate it easier. Like, if you have a, a little recorder like this, I can play something on one and record it on the other, save it as an MP3, and there you go. Granted, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna who, turn my, my my speakers on. Let's see if this works. Granted, so who's can, who's gonna go through the trouble to record an MP3 that way? You know, like oh, there you go, there we go. It works. Isn't that great? All right. Uh, I actually tried to do that. I bought an MP3 player that didn't support DRM, and then I I went and purchased an Audible audiobook. And in order to get it onto the MP3 player, I had to re-record it uh, so that I could strip out the DRM. Right. And unfortunately, it does not work nearly as well as advertised because essentially, unless you manage to get everything to work properly in one go, you wind up having to splice yeah. or edit or noise reduce or something. You have all of the problems of an audio production in something that's supposed to be quick and easy. I wound up... Uh, sending that mp3 player back and i bought another one that did support drm and had a much better experience well that's cool so yeah and uh their their selection is pretty decent i mean i i haven't really looked at a whole bunch of stuff but the things i have been looking for on there have been there so and it's only going to get better as they finally seal the deal with warner or whoever was the last one to hold out which that's all peer pressure i'm sure they're like look sony did it emi did it Thousands of independent labels did it. What's wrong, Warner? What's the matter? Huh? You want to come over here and give us your music? Huh? So let me throw a question. Sure. Am I the only one that still thinks that 99 cents is too much for a single song? Mm, I, as From an artist selling a song, I know how much time and effort I've put into this album. This is a 16-track album. I've working on it for over a year now. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's just writing and recording. I get the beats sent to me from my producer. I write and then I record. I save it, listen to it in my truck for a couple days. Then I stop for a couple days. Then I go back, re-record it if I need to, and then send it to him. And once he gets them all, he'll pr he'll uh, engineer them all and then we'll be done. So I, I think 99 cents for one song for the amount of time, it just... It depends how much you like music, I guess, or how much you appreciate that artist's time and effort. Like, I'm not getting a $50 million advance so that all day I just sit on my private island and write rap. Like, well, I go and you, to work. And you would only be getting 70 cents, right? It's exactly. Just, it's Google yeah, thing, right? Exactly. You, and so this is me, like, going to work for eight hours and then, you know, maybe doing some writing here and there while I'm at work, but then coming home and being just dead-ass tired and still, you know, pushing to get this stuff done. So I, for know, me, I, I would I, appreciate it more than maybe an artist that has, you know, a million-dollar advance that's just hanging out, you know, smoking weed and getting high all day and writing rap. You know, 
Matt, I, I, would, I would like to ask you a question as an artist, especially – I think this is really interesting. Yeah, for the sure. The perspective you bring here as an artist. Um, I think a dollar a song makes pretty good sense if you want to own it. What do you think about, you know, like RDO and Mog and, you know, Spotify? Uh, oh, are you going to put your album on those? And if so, you know, are you expecting to make any money from it or are you just seeing it as sort of an advertisement? For streaming stuff, personally, I would see it as just getting the word out. I would put it on my site. I use SoundCloud a lot. I have the jamhole.com slash music where I already have a 14-track album uh, my roommate and I made, and that's up there for free. The, like we, we give away a lot of this stuff. We do you know podcasts that we give away for free, and we use that as tools to build the audience. And then when do we're you, like, hey, do you, we're doing Do you include a, Spotify and RDO in that do sort I, of free category? I would, yeah. See, which is interesting because you know, you're supposed to pay for, well... I guess well, Spotify is free about for this computer way. users, Seth. right? But I guess if you have, if you want to use on your smartphone, you have to pay was it nine ninety nine a month for Spotify? And right, and audio? how much of that is the artist getting? Very, very little. See, we, that's kind of the, that's what I'm wondering. I mean, I love the idea of a subscription service, right? Because I, I mean, my, I know my own personal listening like um, style, which I know not proud of but it's just like i listen to a song for a couple <laughs> weeks and then it's sort of like i never listen to it again right i want to say the songs that i you know own from See, growing up i hardly i can't remember the last time i've listened to them what that is though is the difference between someone online who is a data hoarder and someone who is into disposable media personally i'm kind of a data hoarder so yeah. i like having the mp3s there if i listen to them once a year it's worth it i guess it's worth it for that one time a friend comes over and is mind blown that I have this weird random track that they're like, "Hey, do you have this? I bet you don't." And yeah. it, it's that whole thing, I guess. But I just hope, as someone who likes, you know, the the sort of subscription Spotify, Ardios type thing, Mog, I wish that artists were able to consider that as like a a way to make money. Well, it's the way you've seen the infographic floating around yeah, about I have. music it's and like possible. You'd, you'd have to get make, like you know. And the thing I don't understand about that is, like before this, I would. I don't think I would spend I would I would not buy an album a month. You know I mean I don't spend ten dollars a month on music before those sort of subscription well, music. Listen, came out, check know? this out. I would buy music if I had a disposable income of sorts. It's because I live paycheck to paycheck that my money goes to things like feeding myself, heating <laughs> the home here. If I made, you know, a hundred grand a year, yeah, I'd buy all sorts of shit, you know. Well you see that that was where I was going with that being too much for a track thing. The thing is, is that 99 cents for a song is not a huge deal. Almost anyone on the globe, even in the impoverished company, countries, could come up with that amount of money in their equivalent local currency. But listen, in impoverished countries, 99 cents, as we all know, could feed like 10 little African babies for like a whole month. So, I mean, you got you to gotta okay, decide. So, well, it's a question of priorities. Exactly, exactly. But my point being, if you're trying to combat piracy on the internet, which is the alleged goal of selling music on the internet, I would think. The price has got to be right. And I still think that the 99 cent price point is too high because I still think about going and buying a song for 99 cents. But listen, who just buys individual songs? I mean, I'm too OCD to just buy one song from an album. I have to have the whole album. Otherwise, forget it. I don't want the song. Oh. Okay, well, all right. Well, even even if you're going the ten bucks for an album thing, I still, I, I just won't. I won't do it. And and it's one of those things where I think if the price were lower, the threshold to 
to to purchase would be lower and more people would purchase. Well, and it's you can't just say it's one or the other because it depends on the content. You know, there's certain things I would pay uh, ten bucks for an album for, like a Sweatshop Union album. But there are things like a Kanye West album that I wouldn't let you pay me ten dollars to purchase. You know, like that. It, it depends on the content. Right, but what I, I mean think, is, is if if a song was ten cents instead of ninety nine cents. I wouldn't even think about it. Well, if a song was a like, penny Damn. instead of 10 cents, nobody would make music, and we'd all be sitting here listening to ourselves talk on podcasts. Well, that's not a bad thing. Well, um, sure. But the, the thing is, is that I think that the music itself is the lost leader. It's it's the product that you give away. Well, I mean, I've always I had that. I can't tell you how many... How, I mean, let's let's roll it back a few years before Spotify and, and all these other services came on the scene. Radio. Nobody ever got rich off of the radio no, itself. No, it's the exposure. Like, and I've always said that, that artists shouldn't – they should make music because they like making music. You get the music out for free to get your fan base, and then people, if they like what you're doing, will pay to see you perform. It's a performance thing. Nobody wants to see you go up there and lip sync 14 tracks. Like that, anybody can do that. We see little Asian kids on YouTube doing that. You know, like that's anyone can do that. It takes something extra to be able to go up there and take something you've written and perform it in a way that it catches the attention of crowds. And having done that, I know how hard it is to get up in front of a crowd and, you know, perform something that you've written. It's it's not easy and not everyone can do it, which is where it separates, you know, the people that are just making tracks online to to give away or to sell and the actual performers. But you use you use the internet to get your music out there, you get your fan base and then you make money from touring. That's that's how I've always understood that. Uh, money can exactly. Be made. So if that's the case, what's the difference in cost? And what's what's the difference to the artist if it costs ninety nine cents versus if it costs ten cents? Well, See it depends. Is, is that is that by lowering the price, you you decrease the number of people that are going to pirate it, and you're going to increase the number of people that are going to legitimately buy it, which you have a a a actual indication of what your fan base really is versus just the number of people that have bought it. And that's fine. I'll take both. I will let you guys have it for free and the people that want to pay it can can pay it and help support what's being done. And I'm going to continue making it just because I like doing it. I know I'm not going to get rich from it, but it's something I enjoy driving my work truck around listening to something that I made. Like there's just something about that that is really cool to me that I'm listening to something nobody else has, you know, like what's up now? It doesn't make sense to me that we should expect music to be free. I mean, well, may- right. maybe and we should. It goes back to the argument of do you have a label or are you doing it by yourself? Because the labels, that's where the greed comes from, I think. And it's, I believe that it's the labels that started this whole, ooh, I'm going to be a rich rapper uh, facade. You know, that's... It's their fault for raising this expectation of you're going to make three tracks and we're going to give you two million dollars to make ten more. Like that's that's retarded. You no don't don't you're not going to make that much. You know I don't care who no. you are. It's music. It's an art, and you'll be lucky if by the time you die, people start listening to it a lot, and then you know your mother gets rich or or whatever. No, but man, I mean, but people pay art. I mean, people pay for art. No matter what aspect, whether it's a book or poetry sure. or music or movies or television, right? In a sense, everyone pays for art. And I feel like we need to the, – the economics needs to find a way 
to make you know pe- people making music to make a living out of it. I think what it is if is they're that good at it, some art <laughs> and that people like what they're doing. You know, like well, so right. I feel like I want these streaming services to find ways to make artists succeed. Like I, I know personally, I'm spending more money now than I've ever spent probably in my life on music because I'm paying this whatever you know nine dollar fee a month in order to get you know unlimited music. Whereas before, I, just, I don't think there's any way I spend 120 dollars on music a year. Right. I wouldn't buy 12 albums a year. I mean, and so, I mean, I feel, like I feel like a lot of people are spending more money now than ever on music. I'd be curious to see those numbers. I feel but like, yet, too, it... But it yet d- this new system is just making artists even less money. It doesn't... I don't like that. Well, who's making the money there? It must be, it must be Spotify. Exactly. Right? And audio. Is that, or is the that labels. Right? Isn't the labels exactly. the ones... It's, it's going... You're seeing a shift. That 12... I mean, if you buy an album for $12... Once a month, you get a percentage of that goes to the retailer, a percentage of that goes to the label, uh, out of which you take your production costs, your actual physical production costs, your artist costs, your art costs, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then the artist gets whatever their agreement is or whatever's left over and the, and the label gets the rest. Versus when you have a subscription service, it's not directly going to the artist. So it's not directly, it, it goes through a filter. And th- that's the problem with a subscription service. You don't really know where your money's going. It's just going into a big pot, and then everybody pulls out of that pot. And the uh, the thing is that I think it's it, it should be looked at more akin to radio, done for the exposure, not right. for the, the, the monetary gain. I also gain. think it matters what kind of art you're talking about going back to what seth said some art is a lot harder to produce than others like right now we're doing something right now that used to take a whole television studio to do that used to take millions of dollars of equipment to do and we're doing it in our living rooms basically i mean in the attack of the android studio in beautiful burbank california no but we're we're able to produce things like this and i think that floods the market more so the good stuff will rise to the top and all the other crap that people can get for free or whatever is also there but we are definitely seeing like, that in the in the photography realm right that uh, also but something like what uh eric's uh wife made or a girlfriend or uh melissa <laughs> fine art by melissa.com not anybody could do that like that really takes some talent but anyone with a computer and a microphone can hook up stuff and get a piece of music on an instrumental online and start writing to it and record to it and we see this even here locally there's so many little wannabe white rappers that just they don't have the talent that they're just like they mimic what they're seeing these labels put up as this is what it should be and it's that's not what it should be by any means it couldn't be further from what it should be but because everybody has a cheap mic and a laptop now you know it it floods that market which I mean, it goes both ways, I, I guess. I mean, they... well, one would hope that the you know the cream would still rise to the top, and that mm-hmm. you know those people could earn money on audio or Spotify or you know because Google Music seems like a great way now, right? If I if, yeah, that's, if I have a local band that I support, I would buy their music on Google Music now because I know that they're getting seventy percent, which seems like a great, which seems like a pretty high percentage. Yeah, to me. that would be like, great if I happy. could get a million people to each buy one track for a dollar like I could spend the next year not working and actually focusing all of my time on making music and if they like what I made spending how much time I did spend making it they're gonna love 
what I can make if I can direct my full focus and attention on yeah. it, you know, and not That's be all I was saying. exhausted I was after. Use... Yeah, exactly. I, I like this Google music and I think it's great. I just wish that and I like, I think my point, and I'm just going to be done after this, is that yeah. I like that Google music has found a way for these independent artists to make money. It's disruption. You know? It's mm. more disruption. And, I wish, and, that's and I wish that Spotify and Audio and other ones would also find a way for someone who's getting, you know, a million plays or whatever that they can make. Well, a think lot of it of this way. They wouldn't I, be anything without the music that the artists make. Like you would have a service that would have absolutely nothing on it if there was nobody like me and like whoever else making music that will eventually go on it, you know? The big piece to this is well, first I'll answer Joey's question. I don't think ninety nine cents is too much to pay for a single song if it's complete ownership of that of that file. Um, but you know, the big biggest problem here is that you know we've we've basically had what like ten twelve years of people downloading music. We've gotten illegally. used to it. We've gotten used we've got, to being yeah. We've able gotten to, used to it, and yep. we've had a generation that has grown up. Um, not knowing anything else, but this generation also is the first when a, a when a like an Aesop Rock concert or like a, a Yeah Dude show is coming to your area, we're the first ones to get tickets for it because we didn't waste money on giving you know ninety percent to the label and ten percent to the artist or whatever, and so we're we're able to do that and go out there and show our support. And I think when an artist is on stage and they see the crowd that's there, that is like we came here to see you do your thing. Like there's there's something to be said for that more than just the money that you're making like it's it's a it's kind of a drug in in essence that you're up there and you're feeding off of that vibe from the crowd like there's nothing quite like it that i've experienced you know well matt i would even take it further i mean younger than us there you know there are these these folks out there that you know they're they really love the these services like rdo or spotify um because it you know it, it simulates that same you know if i want it i can just go out and get it immediately without you know some sort of you know, payments right, right then and there. Um, and that's good. The, we need all sorts of services for all sorts of people. Personally, the Google Music, because I own such a massive collection, works perfectly for me. And, and another reason people like it is because it's not tied to a phone, right? Like it's I can tied use Spotify to any and, browser. And, on an Apple phone, on an Android phone, on my computer. You know, whereas if I buy a song on Google, then I have to figure out how do I get it to you know, an iPod or how do I get it to my tablet or how do I get it to yep. etc. And in closing, well, I'd just like to say music, Google music 4.0.9.509 is fantastic. What I think would be great, Matt, if you, if you sold your album on Google music, if they can take it the next step and offer some sort of streaming service, you know, for a monthly fee that has the same, you know, generous cut and a lot of transparency around how it pays the artist. Sure, and let's be honest, it this just came out. Like, I mean, yeah. we were all, I don't know if you guys were, I was using it since day one when it was announced. I put in my, for my invite and got one like the next week. So I've been using it since beta and to see how far it's come now, that even the speeds of uploading your collection up there has increased greatly. I can, they're only going to add to it now. So the, will, I can expect something like that to eventually happen. Or maybe Google to make their own independent label aside from working with these other labels that are like, hey, if you want to just keep doing your thing like you're doing it, we'll back you because we see that there, there are people that are into your stuff. And I think that's great. And they can do it for podcasts. They could do it for anything. You know, They're Google. I just want to say one last thing. I found that infographic, Eric, you and I were talking about... <laughs> And it was from April 2010, so this is a little bit old. That's the one where or- how much they make per. In order for in order yeah. for in April of 2010, in order for an artist to make minimum wage, yep. which is like 1,100 dollars a month, 
Yep. They need to get four on Spotify. They need to get four million plays a month. per month to make minimum wage. <laughs> and on iTunes, they need what, like a hundred thousand downloads or a hundred thousand uh, song sales? What's that number? So they need to sell one hundred forty-three self-press CDs, right? Or one thousand real t- retail CDs, right? Yeah, they don't have. They don't have. MP3 they have Amazon. Sales. They need twelve thousand Amazon They're, iTunes. Oh, Amazon and iTunes. Yeah, yeah. They need to download twelve thousand tracks. It's MP3 downloads because they all pretty much yeah, use yeah, the same 12, price. Twelve thousand. Right, yeah, right. Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand four hundred. I, I would like to see someone update that infographic with a Google Music model uh, once we start seeing you know a lot yeah. more people using it. But. It's just it's just four million is a, is an to me that's unsustainable. Right. I mean, you can't in order for in order for uh, someone to make money on Spotify, they need to have. Four million. This is just minimum wage. But now right? listen, you though, that's going to have four million plays. That's assuming that as an artist, that is the only platform you're on. That would be stupid. Right. As an artist, you should be selling MP3s. You should be making, you know, either you burn your own CDs and sell them that way, or you get a place to press them, like CD Baby. You go on iTunes. You go on Amazon. You go on Google Music. You stream them on Spotify and on RDO, Turntable FM. You give some away for free to get people in. That you have to. You have to go out everywhere. Like when we first start uh, building a podcast site, we go out and we get the Twitter and a Tumblr and a Posterous, a MySpace, a Facebook page, all that stuff. Not necessarily because we like using all those platforms, but because if you're on everywhere, you're going to get more Google hits. But then you're also appealing to everybody, regardless of if I prefer Tumblr to posters or I prefer, you know, Facebook pages to Tumblr. Like you cover the full gamut and it's all free. So it doesn't matter. It just takes an extra minute to do that. And there's ways to hook all those together. So you're only posting in one spot and it's no, I know, but, out but think if you have, I know, but even think if you have a band, right? You have like, let's say you have four people and you have some production costs, right? So you still, then you have four million. So you, so if you need to have, Let's say you have to support four people or something like that, right? So now you need 16 million plays on Spotify well, or 4 million on Spotify, right. 4 million audio, 4 million on, you know, I, I mean. That's why you shouldn't start a band. You should be a rapper. <laughs> I have and, me and my anyway, beat Anyway, we've talked enough about this, I and think. And that's but, it. Let's talk about uh, the Galaxy Nexus. I still don't have one, and I hear that they went back to the name the Nexus Prime. What happened there? I don't think anyone knows what it is. There was, there was some Best Buy ad that was Just leaked. Just give me that Google phone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah they, there was some Best Buy ad that was leaked, but now people aren't sure if that was real. For December, or, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I still think we're stuck with, I think for now we're still calling it the Nexus, Galaxy Nexus. <laughs> uh, are we? Are you? <laughs> I'm calling it the Galaxy Nexus until I see something different officially. So we've had some reviews come in from the UK. Uh, some of them were fairly well done. Some of them said there was a, a volume bug in there, in the volume rocker. Uh, and these are different than what we'll get here, of course, for uh, Verizon. Uh, these are the, the European versions. Uh, but it said that the, the bug results in volume levels spiking all over the place when the phone or something else is nearby, is in 2G mode on a 900 megahertz network. Uh, Google and Samsung confirm that they're aware of the problem and have a software fix ready to go. So I assume that the phones that we get, the, the Galaxy Nexus Prime, device that we end up getting uh should have this fixed well and we'll be running a cdma right so it won't even be an issue i don't think unless it depends you know, if, same sort of problem but. well it depends exactly what caused the bug if it is the the uh 900 megahertz network fuzzing because then what if you're 
some um, wireless phones for landlines. Those are 900 megahertz. So is that going to cause a, a problem? You know. Yeah, I think so the GSM it, version, the CDM version, are going to be so different that right. You know, if, it'll it'll probably be a different bug. I'm not, you know, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, we'll have something all new to complain about. I'm sure. Yeah. Why well, we'll just this is. This is just so amazing that it, you know, just the the things that have to be in place for this to actually cause a problem. Yeah, right. In, it's the perfect in 2G storm. mode. Yeah, you have to be texting in hand sent to your girlfriend in. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, well, and the then, thing is, is that it's also a sign that as these things get more complex, they are harder and harder to, to make one hundred percent foolproof. Well, there's so many variables that go into it. You know, it's it's exactly. hard to, to nail down exactly what Let, it was. You know, let's talk about this for one second. I think this would be a good sort of uh, branch we can go on. What do you guys think? I've been seeing recently, um, this isn't part of the schedule program, so we can shut this down if you want, but this idea where I feel like all these new products that launch, or many of the new products that launch, are launching like in beta. You know, if you look at like maybe like the Playbook or the Touchpad or things like that, it seems to me like almost all the phones, a lot of the phones and things come out buggy, and then they release like the first update. Do you think, and- though, that that's due to the fact that you can only do so much testing internally? You don't know how the rest of the population is going to use it. Except that Apple, other than maybe that antenna gate. Oh, they had really? Lot, you know, that was sort of a Really? Mess. Okay. It just works, huh? Okay. No, I just feel no, like that fine. they're, in general... You want to start an Apple less... podcast, Seth? Diva? No. I don't you want to do an Apple no, show? I don't even own, I hate just me and I don't, you? I don't even own anything that's run by Apple. No, just me and you. No. We'll do one. It'll be fine. No, I don't own anything about Apple. But I've, in general, their stuff appears to come up with a little bit... A little bit um, a little bit more baked. That's because you can't do anything. Okay, I'm I'm done talking about Apple. <laughs> well, the other no, thing is, is that uh, the the Android phones tend to be on the cutting edge of hardware and the cutting edge of software and versioning and whatnot. Then you also have carriers installing crapware on top of them. Uh, so you have multiple layers of software, multiple layers of hardware, all uh, made by but I different think more people. More to your point, Seth is is the fact that they're there's a constant pressure to put out the newest, the latest, the greatest, and you have to hit a target ship date. And if the product isn't ready, they ship it anyway, and they f- expect to fix it. I mean, the old cliche in the computer system world was that the was that uh, anybody that uh, bought the first retail copy of a copy of Windows was actually in a beta. You know, and and that's still true, I think, because there there's so many variables and there's so many use cases. You can't possibly test them all. Right. Well, and- I think there's there's a few things here. I mean, we talked maybe, what, a month ago about that uh, study that said that um, was like Android phones uh, are more prone to, to break or to have returns than other phones. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to Joey's point, you know, you, you have these faster and faster, uh, you know, uh, iteration cycles where you're trying to crank out the latest and greatest, um, and, you know... You're gonna have a you're you're gonna have a lot of bugs when you have all these different manufacturers doing all these different you know carriers and platforms and stuff. They need but, standards that say this is how it's going to be, and if you put stuff on it, then you can do what Amazon did and make your own. You're but I, I don't think it, we should fool ourselves though into in into saying that you know Apple doesn't have a better quality control process than any other you know manufacturer because quite frankly I think they they no, probably they, do. They absolutely but they're later do. to market. It's completely. And a, I mean, the, the advantage of the, the advantage of the PC 
which is analogous to the advantage of the Android phone, is that within certain tolerance tolerances, the software will run on anything. The disadvantage of that is that it cannot be specialized and bug-free and tuned. So the advantage of the closed platform in electric in consumer electronics, like for instance the iPhone, the iPods, etc., is that they can because they control the hardware and the software, they can tune the whole thing right through. The downside of that is that you have one manufacturer that does all of the R&D, all of the manufacturing, all of the production work or subs it out, and therefore you only have one place to go for all of your support and all of your uh, and all of your purchasing, so therefore the price is high. Isn't that the difference between open and closed? Exactly. The I would rather is, have is that, more eyes looking at it. The debate for closed and open has, has raged long in the PC world, and it's just now – well, it, it's been around for a few years right. in the phone market as well, but it's coming to a bigger and bigger head because as more Android phones come out, that's a bigger and bigger force in the market, which is, again, analogous to PCs. One of the things that people said for years about Macintoshes was that they were better. Well, it's a use but case. you couldn't really explain why, and the reason for that was that they had, like I say, total control over the entire process from start to finish. Well, that, and, and they, didn't, yeah, you, they didn't have the market share that was being targeted for malware and viruses. It wasn't worth yeah. it for a hacker to write something that 10 people might get infected by when you can write something that 100,000 people are going to get infected by. And we're seeing that exactly. switch now. The more people get these devices and these Apple products, the more malware is getting written for them. And I honestly, it- I'd rather, I'd way rather have more eyes and be able to have this commenting system and read that, look, is this malware or not? Well, chances are, by the time I've gotten to it, somebody else has already said yes or no. And I can go with that. I I think that there's two things here. I I don't debate the open versus closed system. I think I think I'm trying to make a, a little bit separate point because I agree with you, Joey, on on that. Um, I like open. I mean, I like the flexibility we have with that. I think my point was um, kind of a couple things. One, I think with the over the air updates that are now available, the technology that allows that, these companies are relying too heavily on the you know version two you know, version two software system, like, I mean, like the original touchpad, right? There was a huge debate about how they released it. It was super buggy, the first version, right? And then they came out like a month and a half later with sort of a version that should have been it. You know, well, look at it they this had way, bad Seth. reviews and things. And really, people were really upset because their first, the first original release version of their software was pretty terrible. Um, but look at it this then, way. Would you rather pay your internal R&D guys to test a product and spend that much more money that you're going to have to transfer to the end consumer? Or would you rather get something that works as much as it's going to work right now and then let everyone else test it who actually paid you for the device when you can easily push an update and satisfy anything that they're going to find and probably have it be way more accurate than what your guys internally are going to find. You yeah, need fresh I, eyes I, I don't on think the it's device. driven by that at all, though. I think it's driven by the money people saying we need to sell X right. amount in this quarter. Especially the, once the iPad came out, that, that did it. That created this massive rush for everybody else to be like, oh shit, we better get something out there that's equally, and but they didn't, you know? And who knows how long Apple was working on that thing before anyone even caught wind that they're making a tablet device, you know? They, they could have been working 10 years on this thing. 
for all we oh, know. rumors and, were at least that long. So, and I mean, for something that came out instantly after that came out, and I don't know, I, I didn't buy the Zoom because it looked garbage. I didn't buy the first Samsung Galaxy Tab because I couldn't afford one. The one I'm really interested in is this Transformer Prime uh, that we're starting to see some the reviews quad? on. That looks the, sweet. The quad. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. Oh, man. And I, I love the triple E's. I have one. My brother had the very first triple E, the small, little, tiny, white one. Mm-hmm. And that thing was great. You could put Backtrack on it and let it run sniffers under. It, it could be, like, duct taped under a coffee table like, and just leave it there and come back the next day. But mm-hmm. anyway, it, it's they make good hardware. And to put a quad core with Android on it and make it a touch, that's the one I want. That, and I'll be interested to, to get one in my hands and actually see if it lives up to the hype. Eric, I was just going to say I'm looking from- at my original uh, E-pad transformer, and it's it's looking pretty old uh, compared <laughs> to this transformer Prime. Mm. I, I just I don't know where I'm going to find $500, though, is the problem. Um, how was the original one? Do you like it? It's it's actually amazing. Um, I I love it, uh, and I think that my wife is even a little jealous. She has an i like an original iPad that Ooh. she um, Ooh. she's had for about a year. Uh, yeah, about, about not a so year. Sh- not so shiny anymore, is it, Melissa? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> well, it, I think the biggest draw here, uh, you know, aside from the fact that I think it's I think it's just a very nice form factor, but yeah, I have the additional keyboard add on, and. You know, when she wants to update her website or you oh, know look key. on Facebook or something, that's weird. she's looking at mine saying, "Oh my God, I, I wish, wish I, I had a keyboard that yep. was that great." Yep. And doesn't yep. the new one isn't it built in? It's kind of that, or were they showing it in the keyboard dock? From what it looked they were like, showing it in the keyboard dock. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so it'll it'll you know you can carry it around, treat it like a regular you know tablet. But when you want that physical keyboard for like typing something up or doing show notes, you know you can just pop it in, and it's it's like a little netbook. See, it's and that's great. what I thought. It looks like a netbook. I thought it was one piece like that. I because I have a HP tablet that you uh, you can turn the key or the the screen around and fold it down to cover the keyboard. But it's a laptop first and foremost. You know, you open it mm. up and it's. But it's so big and bulky because it's you know it's got the AMD Trion X2 in it and it's running Windows 7 now, which runs much better than Vista did on it. But the screen they have on it is not responsive for anything. Like I I rarely use it as a tablet. You know, it's it's so big and bulky. So when I saw this thing, I was just like, that's what this should have been. You know, but not running Win 7. It should be running Android. I think. Well, well, it's and- ironic. The last week, I was actually handed at my full-time job a 10.1-inch Galaxy Tab that had a a dock. Yeah, uh, all very of them have similar those. to what this looks like. And my first thought was, "What in the flying crap is the executive team thinking? This makes no sense." Because every single one of them has right now uh, something in a dual core laptop with a 15.6 inch uh, screen, or uh, I think they're, they're all 15.4, uh, 15.6 inch. But the uh, difference is, now. Joey, you can't hold it like a pretentious D bag like uh, you mm-hmm. would with a, an iPad 2 or something. Well, I, th- I think that that's wasn't the my major... concern. My concern was the pr- <laughs> was the practicality of it, and were we throwing six hundred dollars? At a at, at a unnecessarily at a piece of junk. Well, and the irony is is that in several ways that is more practical than a laptop, and I it didn't really hit me until someone pointed it out. 
we have uh, ever-increasing tighter regulations on what you can travel with Ugh. for laptops. Try waiting for your Windows Vista netbook to boot up while you're holding in line, you know, at the, at the TSA booth. If it's a tablet, you just pop it on and there you go. Exactly. So there's an advantage there. But it's different Here's a use real case. advantage. You, does anybody remember all of the stories that broke in the past, say, five years of someone's data getting stolen from oh, sure. either some government agency or some big uh, company with a whole bunch of database information? It was always Facebook? on someone's laptop. Of course. Okay. Well, guess what? These things, you can't even access the file system. At the most, they're 64 gigabytes anyway. After you subtract the operating system, a sure. few uh, add-on programs and whatnot, there isn't that much storage on there. There isn't the capability to store enough information that one could seriously damage our company. But the thing is, all that information is in the cloud now, which means that you're... No, it's not. Really? Mine is. And but no, I I keep it secure. I use two factor authentication when I can, and you know there I I use strong passwords, and I use you know these different security pr- procedures that normal people may not necessarily be using. Well, and it's the difference between an individual and a corporate market. But the way well, we implemented it was that the uh, uh, the tab would connect to the internet, would establish a VPN connection with the main office, and would then be used to access a Citrix server. Well, there you go. And Joey, well I, I mean, I've seen that implemented um, in places that I worked previously. Uh, it's mm-hmm. still in the cloud, but it's in your corporate cloud. And which that's, is more that se- is the yeah. big difference. Right. And that's more right. secure which, than maybe a, a normal. And, and speaking of that, Eric, do you have the same distaste I have for the term cloud computing? Yeah, I think it's I think it's misused um, and quite you know it's a buzzword right well, now. Well, hold on, hold uh, on. Cloud computing is like folding at home, where you're using all of these computers on the internet, their process to do one task. That's cloud computing. Cloud storage is storing your files up on a server that is not physically located in your area. That's what yeah, I always we, thought. We had a word for that. It was called the server terminal environment. Sure. Well, c- come on. I mean, what's what's more? Yeah. Hey, mom, uh, flip on your server. Term- what? <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea being that when when uh, com- mainframes were expensive, you had a cheap ish terminal that you would deploy and everyone would access a central server. Right. Well, that's now what we're seeing. I mean, a netbook. We've kind of gone which back I to, to be that. typing on one. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of horsepower, but when you combine it with the ability to go to either a cloud hosted uh, storage solution or a cloud computing uh, app, it becomes a supercomputer because all it is is a terminal. Yep. And that's all this cloud stuff is. And, and honestly, the is, you know, private cloud, company cloud, uh, the full on storage in the cloud, it's all a server. Right. And who came up with the cloud thing must have been a marketing genius well, because it's taken over the world. But of it's course. just. Ah. When I was younger, that was how I computed. I used my laptop to run Putty that I SSH to my buddy's like 486 that was running a screen. It was running my IRSSI. I was running Pine. Mm-hmm. I was running Lynx. And that's how I computed. 
back then, you know, now I, I don't do that so much anymore because I, I'm using more intensive applications and everything, but that's all I needed back then. I had my communication, I had uh, access to the web, I had everything I needed and none of it was right here and I could access it from anywhere. And that was great. That was cloud computing before there was cloud computing. And that's exactly what you're talking about. It was a server that we had a terminal window into and that was that. And we're starting to see that make the switch back. And before all that, um, I used to dial into BBSs. Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, that was your local chat uh, room, only instead of being open to the entire globe, you were open to only people within a a certain area, usually the the local toll-free calling area. And uh, I used to hang out on the Phoenix BBS all the time. Yep, there there was a bunch around that, that you could get stuff from. And when I say stuff, I mean porn, because that's all that the BBS was good for. I mean, porn and hacker code, you know. All right, let's. Uh, you guys want to talk about this uh, article over on Slate? It says Android needs a heart. I, I found this kind of disheartening. Uh, I, well, it was I an ice cream sandwich in particular. Right, and I haven't touched ICS yet. Like I said, we're in Montana here personally, and I'm still waiting for Verizon to get theirs in so I can get mine on. But... um. From the reviews that we first talked about when it first came out, everyone was like, oh, this is amazing. And now we're kind of starting to see some that are like, yeah, this isn't that amazing. But I don't know. I still I still I'm going to just build myself up for the most massive disappointment in my history here. But uh, what do you guys think about it? Are are you still excited for it or is the hype died down for you? Eric? Yeah, I'd actually I'd like to throw this over to Seth because I, I Seth I think you're really plugged into the ice cream sandwich more than any of us, so I kind of want to hear what you have to say first on this. Well, I'm the host, and I asked you, Eric. So if you want to not cop out and pass it to no, go ahead, Seth. <laughs> well, again, God, I, I haven't seen ice cream sandwich either. I haven't had a review yet or anything like that. Right, you know? right. But I have watched a lot of video. You know how I mean, like everyone else has a lot of like the walkthrough videos. Just drooling, around. right? What's that? Drooling over it, right? Yeah, and so, you know, so I have a pretty good understanding of it. I think that this article is right and wrong in some senses, right? It's probably right that Android in general is sort of the operating system for power users. And I, I don't want to go too far in that direction, but there is a sense where a lot of people who use Android only use, I would say, 20% of the you know things that are available to it. You know, um, the widgets and all those things, and all the f- funny, all the great things you can do with the home screen. Let me and, ask you this, Seth, real quick. Yeah. Are, are you more excited for Ice Cream Sandwich or are you more excited for CM9? Ice Cream Sandwich, I think. Just because <laughs> but CM9 it's... is going to, I mean, ice, CM9, to me, they're connected because CM9 is going to just bring Ice Cream Sandwich to all the phones that don't have it yet. Right, you but know, like, what... And phones that will never get it. It's going to be the old Cyanogen mod where you have all this other cool stuff in there, built-in ad blockers and overclock, underclock. Like, I'm kind of more excited for Ice Cream Sandwich with a Cyanogen twist, so to speak. Yeah, are you more I'd excited have, I'd have for to the see pure? What Sanjin does do it. You want to see the pure experience first, which of course I'd like Definitely. to do that. It's just that my experience in getting like like my Droid X, the raw experience was garbage. The incredible, yeah. the raw experience on that was garbage. So you know, myself yeah. and my girlfriend both run CM7, but. It, for ICS, it kind of seems like maybe they did fix some of that stuff. But then well, again, me, like yeah. we said earlier, it depends what the carriers are going to put on it. Because CM, yeah. CM will get rid of a lot of that crap. No, that's true. But here, let me finish with this Slate article real fast. Um, so I think that he's right 
and when he says that, you know, one of the one of the problems is that it's sort of an it's sort of a system that's built for people that know what they're doing and that are really excited about it, which I think is sort of right. I think that um, ice cream sandwich really makes the uh, lowers the bar for that. I think it makes it a lot more helpful. But he is right that there's still some you know some buried menus and things like that where they've tried to. Bring, I know they try to bring a lot of that out. So are you saying we should dumb down our systems for people no, that don't no. feel like learning, or should we in, no, increase not. the the learning for people so they don't have to worry about malware and stuff like that because they know what they're doing on it? Well, I think malware is a separate question for a second. Well, sure. And if you don't, particularly for the the design of ice cream sandwich, I think is great because I think it does lower the you know the accessibility bar in, in a really helpful ways. I think it raises. The design bar really high, you know, a lot higher than gingerbread was. Oh yeah, that Helvetica font looks beautiful. Yeah, so I think ice cream sandwich. I think he's wrong in saying that it lacks heart and it lacks joy. I think people are going to get a lot of joy out of ice cream sandwich because of the design moves they made, because they, you know, the, how the how the menus are really smart, how the multitasking is really easy, you know, how the um, widgets are going to be really easy to resize and adjust and to get everything just the way you like it, and you know, so you can take rid of all the bloatware and you get rid of all that stuff. But I do also understand that these are all, a lot of these things are sort of power user things, right? Like, you know, I, when I go home, I set, you know, my family's phones up, right? You know, I put the contacts on, you know, so they can just put, you know, click on the picture and it calls automatically. You do that? But See, the, I make my mom just use a feature phone. She's lucky yeah, no, she's not a on problem. a jitterbug. See, that's the problem, though, is that as soon as – so let's say they have – like, I know that um, one of my family members had to reset their phone, Right. And they even posted on Facebook, boy, I wish my, you know, my brother was home again so I could uh, <laughs> hint, so, hint. so that he could set my phone up again because I don't know how he did all that stuff. You know, I would have replied, boy, I'd wish my brother would learn how to use his phone so I didn't have to do free <laughs> service for him all the time. Wink, yeah, wink. So, no, no, but that's, uh, that's all I'm saying is that, you know, Apple, you know, the iOS is really easy because it's just like there's like a button to press, you know. And, right. But that's what I hate about it. Right. You well, know, but that's because, you and me. It's, that's it's, us. That's a different use case. Well, yeah. So I think that this. I think so. I think he's right in saying that Android. I mean, Android is still not as easy as iOS. But I think they made some great moves in that direction and still kept all the power features that I want. Personally, and, I like that it's not that easy because it kind of does raise the bar for entry, and maybe not everybody's going to have one. And that, to me, I don't know that. I'm kind of torn. Like, I want everyone to use it, but I don't because I don't want the network to be overloaded. You know, I want mine to be fast. So I kind of, I don't know. Well, I would, I would tend to agree with Seth in that I disagree that it, I don't think it's necessarily that Android's lacking heart. I, it's lacking a few things. I mean, the first would probably be better marketing. I mean, we, we've talked about it before. Less every, forking. Every, commercial you see it's like futuristic you will android will come from space and it will make everything better right and it i mean that just it doesn't really does not match up to you know marketing campaigns like the you know i'm a i'm a mac i'm a pc from maybe a few years ago where you know it's very personable it was you know this is the everyday person this is the nerd and the nerds use pcs and i feel good because i'm an apple user i Apple already has a they they have a leg up in that regard, but as far as you know, does it lack heart? I, not necessarily, um, but maybe I mean maybe maybe it needs you know like two modes like the 
you know, the beginner <laughs> mode yeah. and the regular mode or something like that that can, you know, that does lower the barrier. And you know to- what, Eric, we see that with certain apps like the the Droid Overclock app that Jay Rummy made. He has a, a, a regular mode and then an advanced mode. And if you know all about setting V-cells and all that stuff, you can do that, but you don't have to to well, use th- it. And I think that's sort of what these what these manufacturers are trying to get at when right. they make these skins like, you know, Sense or Blur sure, they're or whatever. They're it. trying to make that experience much more simplified. But maybe that needs to happen at the operating system level versus like the skin level. Yeah, and I agree the less that we start we need these skins, I think the quicker we'll see updates for one. Because you're not having to test everything so extensively because you know what's on there, you know? You don't know it was certain hooks that Sense UI is going to have in 3 or in 2.3.5 or whatever that's not going to work on anything else. So it takes them a year to fix things, you know? Yeah, and, this... and, and I mean, the, the author's assertion that, you know, you have these great features like Android Beam or the, uh, what do they call it, where you unlock the phone with your face yeah, with the picture face. Yeah, facial yeah, the face recognition. Unlock. Yeah, yeah. Unlock. So, <laughs> stare, the assertion stare that that... to unlock. <laughs> what? It's called stare to unlock. Yeah, see, that falls under the marketing piece. That is quite possible. Oh, no, it's called face unlock. I that know. Was... Face unlock. <laughs> and see, on Tech God. Garage, me and Gina were talking about an article uh, that was written about the Galaxy Nexus. And the person writing the article said it felt heavy in the hands, it was too big, and I asked her, was that a male or a female writer? And the name was Casey Johnston. And so that could have gone either way, but I clicked on the author oh, page. Casey Johnston is a female writer for Ars Technica. It, exactly. Right? It was a female. And so I was like, I bet that's why. There are certain differences in not to be, you know, chauvinistic or whatever you want to call it, but men's hands are generally larger than women's hands. So a woman reviewing a over five inch, you know, diagonal device is going to feel that that's too big if she has little feminine hands. But a, a male having bigger hands, you can reach across the whole thing with your thumb generally. And so you're going to get a different review on it depending on, you know, that. I don't think that matters as much with what we're talking about here with the actual operating system. This is more of a size thing. But yeah, it's it's different use, you know. Well, let's make a list. So if you're a new user or a woman, Matt does not want you using Android phones. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I said. I don't want you the writing reviews. To no, to listen. Is, if you're hmm. a if you're a woman or a new user, I don't want you writing reviews that say, "Ah, oh, this sucks because it's too big for my little girl hands." That's what I want. Okay, that's all. See you, nah. ladies. <laughs> that is that is that's the sound of all the women listening to the podcast shutting it off. So good thing we don't do this live, huh? <laughs> I don't. I don't know Casey Johnson, but she's a pretty good author. No, yeah, I, 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 I know. Past, so I don't know. I know. I'm just giving her a hard time. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, reviews and whatnot are, are all about an opinion. Exactly. Someone has a bad day, they get uh, this product, it's a bad review. Now, that's that's a little unfair. But, I mean, you know, if you're a diehard Macintosh lover and you're hit with a Windows phone, you're going to be less familiar with it. And therefore, it may get a negative review because you don't know how to work the thing. That doesn't imply a problem Isn't with the hardware. Isn't that your job, though? To figure it out before you write a review and maybe even write about the process of figuring it out. Not well, just saying, oh, this think. sucked. I couldn't figure it out. This sucks. Like, maybe you're just dumb. I don't know. 
I figured it out. <laughs> like, come on. Well, I mean, so you, you, guys, you got a point. Have you guys seen the uh, the thickness comparison, the LTE versus GSM Galaxy Nexus pictures? Yeah, did you see in the comments that they were saying it was the angle the picture was taken, but then the new picture is is perfectly right on, and they kind of do look a little more similar? I I would believe that, because I'm looking at these saying they don't really look that much different. Um, if I, I don't think that it's going to be discernible for any consumer picking up the two to say, oh, this one's so much bigger. It, I don't think it's going to happen. I think this is just somebody trying to make a story. No, I agree. Although I do like that silver collar a little better than the plain black. I wish that the LT phone was. <laughs> oh yeah, a it looks color. says Diva Seth. <laughs> awesome. Hey, design matters. <laughs> no, it does for sure. It got, Apple proved nothing. It's that design matters yeah. absolutely. I'll bet you're really hyped about the Sparkle version coming out next month. Nice. I want the, new I want Samsung the pink one. Diva. <laughs> I want the pink one, the bright pink. But I yeah, want like if, the. Uh, the N9, whatever that bright pink version is or something like that. Got. This is the one written on uh, <laughs> Droid Life, right, that you're talking about? And the very yeah. first comment by ManBearPig618 says, Bad shot angle on the LTE version. It's not a straight profile. Kellix, who's the person that wrote it, said, and fixed. Sorry about that. And then the next comment says, So after looking at the new image, I can barely tell there's a thickness difference between the two. And uh, Timo, right after that, says it's only 0.5 millimeters. So there you go. Well, if we can't trust man, bear, pig, who can we trust? Uh, amen to that, brother. Amen. What do you think about Republic Wireless running CM7, Joey? Well, uh, oh, uh, before we go into that, uh, we did actually reach out, we meaning me, actually reached out to Republic Wireless via Twitter and via email, uh, got some responses uh, via uh, Twitter, did not get a response via email. We invited them on the show. Um, this show actually, and got nothing. Uh, the good news is for those of us that are in rural areas, um, that would be myself on, and Joey, Matt, for after, instance. After listening uh, to the last episode, do you blame them? <laughs> well, yeah, the, 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 the last episode that I was on, there was a couple of things that were taken out of context. There was a couple of things that were actually wrong. Um, and there was a couple of things that were misunderstood or misleading. Not just by what we said, but on the website. And we did have a mathematical error, error uh, Jeremy, who's not here, so we're going to blame him for that. Uh, the amount of bandwidth required for an upstream phone call was something on the order of eight times higher than it had to be. As we stated, it's not. Um, it's only 80 kilobits, not kilobytes uh, per second. Right. And and I we, don't know if we I cleared, screwed that up. We cleared uh, all I that said up. It, or if... Um, or if we ju- honestly made a math error or what, but it's it's not as bad as we had figured. Um, so, the, so the clarification on that. Um, also, one other thing that I had had a question with, which actually after we taped the show, um, the question came up that I realized I'm not in a Sprint area. Uh, there is almost no Sprint coverage in the entire state of Maine, and I would imagine that there are a lot of areas where that's true outside of the state. And I know that Montana, uh, Matt, you were saying that they had just started to get a presence up there. So the question was, will we will Republic Wireless work anywhere? Is it limited to just where Sprint is or can it be anywhere, uh, even if it's Sprint has a roaming partner or what? And the answer was that as long as Sprint has a roaming agreement with someone in your area, you can use the uh the republic wireless service 
Uh, further, one thing I don't think we meant we we made clear, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys hammered this out a little bit last week. One thing I I don't think we really adequately covered was the the usage guide that that I was quoting off of 150 texts and 500 minutes and whatnot. That wasn't what they were saying. You were limited to. They were saying it was more of a guideline, you, is how I understood it. And yeah, we did mention that on uh, last episode nine. But yeah, go right. Ahead. So if you were on Wi-Fi basically at all, you were probably never going to trip over their guideline. If you were in an area where you had no or almost no Wi-Fi at all for extended periods, then you'd wind up possibly coming up against that barrier. But they would give you several chances to come up against that barrier before they booted you off the service. And, I mean, you you can't really blame them for that. I don't think. I mean, that's how their cost model is driven. You go over a certain quota consistently. Eh, we're sorry, but we're 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 not making enough at twenty dollars a month or nineteen dollars a month to support heavy users. And that's fine. We see that in unlimited accounts. You know, they're unlimited until you do this, then you're getting throttled. So nothing's truly unlimited, really. Right. Right. So um, apparently. The the new news this week uh, is that they did apparently an un- Republic they- Wireless is going to be offering um, their Android phones running uh, CyanogenMod 7. That's what I'm running, and that, that, that was kind of interesting to me. This guy, uh, they did an unboxing. Uh, there was a beta tester for a Republic Wireless service. She got her phone uh, and decided to, to do the unboxing. She turned it on. And voila, it was CM7, or some variant of, as they say. Uh, They say it's pretty obvious the owner of said phone isn't the biggest Android enthusiast, so she probably didn't even notice the differences between this phone and stock Android. Uh, Right out of the gate, though, you can see the famous CM7 bubble lock screen, once unlocked, ADW launcher, clearly gracing their home screen. Uh, Then there's a video here. It says, later in the video, as she pulls down the notification shade, you can see that this device is also running the CM7 notification power widget, which is awesome. I love that thing. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool that they're they're, uh, using CM7 uh, for it. I'm still down on the the whole it's a a optimum, but, you know, or an optimus. But it's, well, you know, at least running CM7, that does give it a snowball's chance in heck of actually performing it does, well. But that doesn't mean it's still going to run stupid zombies. And as we learned in episode nine, that is how I measure the worth of a phone. So, Well, well I'll right. just throw but out there the rest that of us. the main exciting thing here is that because it's running on CM7, um, does that make it easier for some enterprising uh, you know, person to you know, look at that code, to dig in a little bit and you know, figure out, possibly extract? You know, that magic that makes, um, you know, the Republic Wireless uh, system actually work. So that way we can support, you know, different handsets, different things on our own. If we can get that into an APK and then put that on anything else, I wonder if it would work in places like you said. According to their official blog on the the statement, on, on that subject, it was something that they appeared to have to build into the OS from the ground up, which in a way now with the cm7 news actually makes more sense where if they started with cm7 built the code into the os and recompiled it as a cm7 variant that would make a lot more sense than starting with some than starting with a stock build of android that no one knows anything about sure and this already will have you know a lot of options that maybe they wanted to tweak to begin with and you know the 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yep. Uh, so I, I don't see this as being – I mean no one has ever accused CM7 of not being Android. So I don't see this as being any kind of a misappre- uh, misapprehension or uh, or anything else. But what it does call into question is an issue that I have had with my device running CM7. Uh, which is simply, will it actually get the Android market and the Gmail and such apps? Because if it doesn't, you're going to get people that will will claim that it's not a Google phone. Well, check this out, though. They're, they have packages for that, right? It doesn't come with it. You have to get the package for all that stuff. That's what I had to do. And that's well, fine. Whatever. Yeah, and mine isn't working. But <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that's a story for another day. Because, yeah, there was a, there was an update for The Incredible that my girlfriend got on her CM7, and she updated it, and I get a call to my Google Voice number because I have that, you know, posted online and stuff. She's like, I don't have your number. I just did this update, and now nothing's working. I'm like, okay, do you see why I update my stuff on a Friday? Because sometimes it takes all weekend to get it working again, you know? And all mm-hmm. it was is that she needed that app package to get to be able to even sign into her uh, Google account and stuff. And then once yeah, and we did that... you have to load that through the bootloader, right? You can't just load that... Well, uh... you can do it through uh, ROM manager. You can do it through uh, ROM toolbox, JRummy's version. You can do it through, I think uh, there's another one. I, I forget the name of it. But yeah, there's, there's tons of ways to do it. It's just uh, the matter that she didn't know that you had to do that because I was the one that, you know, put it all together in the first place, but... Well, guys, I think it's a non-issue. If you watch the video, exactly. um, it's very blurry, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain. Like I would say, ninety percent certain that I can see the market app in there out of the box. So I, I mean, think it's probably fine. Just because it doesn't come with CM7 doesn't mean that these guys didn't build it in. Sure. So there you go. What do you guys think about this whole uh, developer? carrier iq system going on this has been kind of in the news lately about one thing the guy got a cease and desist and then we see that the carrier iq retracted the cease and desist and apologized to the researcher because they were i guess hassling him a little bit um it says here trevor eckhart he was the developer he published his findings that a number of android phones primarily sprints came out of the box with a nearly unnoticeable bit of software, which is built by Carrier IQ. This software, he said, could monitor everything from which apps were installed to which keys were pressed. And as we all know in the hack community, that's called a keylogger. While Carrier IQ uses the press release to ensure that their software does nothing nefarious of the sort, they have apologized for taking the course of actions that they took. And uh, from the release here... It says, as of today, we're withdrawing our cease and desist letter to Mr. Trevor Eckhart. We have reached out to Mr. Eckhart and the EEF, the Electronic Electronic Frontier Foundation, to apologize. Our action was misguided, and we are deeply sorry for any concern or trouble that our letter may have caused Mr. Eckhart. Uh, We sincerely appreciate and respect EFF's work on his behalf and share their commitment to protecting free speech in a rapidly changing technological world. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as as a Sprint customer, this it pisses me off and it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, Well, hey, buddy, if you're not if you're not doing nothing wrong, what are you worried about? It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Just shut up and take it. Yeah, that's right. Here, bite down no, on this. It's I fine. mean, this is this is clearly an example of, you know, the carriers 
not understanding you know where the line is right it's not okay to mm-hmm. you know to use a keylogger at the very least it should be something that when you boot up the phone that says you know just like we get with with Google and all these other services do you want us to do you want to share information with us opt to in. help make your experience better opt in not opt yeah. out it it's i mean it it's scary and it it just reinforces you know um you know my wanting to move to a custom rom as soon as possible something with you know hopefully doesn't have that crap built in and isn't you know isn't based on a stock rom that would get rid of it, right? Assuming it's not chipset related, which it doesn't sound like it is. You know, I mean, one it, thing it sounds like a service they're running. I don't think exactly. It is. Yeah, so you know, one Steph. thing that these companies should have learned by now is that the way to get the worst possible press and the way to make these things as bad as possible is to attack the little guy by by threatening to sue him and to hide <laughs> things like that. You need full transparency, especially when there's so many developers looking at this kind of stuff. You I mean, can't, af- you after can't the sneak. Sony Geohot scandal, I mean, all that. Oh, you yeah. mean, and it's like all this stuff. It's like if you were a big company, and I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't was listening, but if you're a big company, you're listening to this. The last thing you want to do when you're caught doing something dumb is to threaten to sue the little guy. That just you know, makes so it worse. Twenty-four hour student, because that is the that is the fastest way. To make the internet extremely mad at you and oh, yeah. splash, splash that story everywhere instantly, instantly. I mean, you know, if if they had just instead like written the guy and talked to him nicely and you know try to figure out, you know, I mean, anyways. So well, I think the the big problem they're here, stupid Seth, is that we're in such a litigious society. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know these people probably have you know at, at least one lawyer on retainer. You know, if they have a big contract with Sprint, they, you know, they may have Sprint's legal team on there. And these lawyers have basically gotten to the habit of, if I don't like it, I'll just hide behind the DMCA mm-hmm. and send these people a cease and desist letter and hopefully freak them out enough to where, you know, they just stop doing what I don't like. It's, you know, and because what's the downside to that? You, you know, you get, they don't do it and you don't have, you know, any, you know, ground to stand on to sue them. This is the downside and this is what they don't realize is that, you know, right. the marketing aspect will really screw them in the end. Yep. Well said. Yeah, we would not be talking about this if it hadn't been an Ars Technica. It wouldn't be an Ars Technica if they had it. You know what I mean? Threaten to sue the kid. Yeah. Anyway. So Sprint, you hear that? You're on notice, mofo. That's right. <laughs> A wag of the finger. And Carrier IQ? I mean, some pretty interesting bit of software here. Agent logging, modern logging, service logging, client logging, yeah, metrics logging, bridge <laughs> logging, network logging. Really? And you know what? There's also Kenny logging. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know what? It, what they said, too, is that it was for you guys. This is to make this better for you. I mean, this is all about the user, not us. We built this for you. You know that's always the that's always the argument for the. I mean, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be over dramatic here, but for the death of privacy, right? It is. It absolutely. You know, is. no matter what you do, if you're the government and you're spying on people, this is it's, for it's, you. It's, it's, for, it's to protect you. right? It's either for it, you or for your kids. Yeah, if you're a company, it's in order to make your user experience better, right? And so, I mean, I whenever I hear that something is being done for me, you know, and when, when it's a company doing it. I get skeptical. I'm like, yeah, but what are, what do you get out of it? And obviously, they're getting they are able to sell that money. They're able to sell that information to someone else for a profit, right? You think? That's what. Yeah. So I mean, maybe it does help user stuff. experience, but well. that's a grain. Take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. My user experience is just fine without you logging my keystrokes. Thank you. 
Well, to well, come back it's... to an old uh, an old hackneyed hacker phrase, that's not a bug, that's a feature. <laughs> yep, exactly. And you that's know? what they said. And, yeah, and, and the thing is is that uh, to, to maybe an extreme example, but the first time I ever remember hearing that quoted was in the book Jurassic Park, not the movie, <laughs> yep. in which case they had allowed the animal or the dinosaur population to go out of control because they were checking to see if there was a minimum of a certain number. They never the software didn't tell you how many there were in an area. It told you if there were at least this number. Right. And oh, that's not a bug. That's a feature. Yeah. Literally, that was the line. And it was like, okay, yeah, so the death and destruction of a whole bunch of people is a feature, not a bug. Well, duh. I mean, right. and they say here that this software, was in, it's been installed on millions of Android, BlackBerry, and Nokia phones. Carrier IQ was virtually unknown until the 25-year-old Eckert analyzed its workings and revealed that the software secretly chronicles a user's phone experience from the apps, the battery life, texts. Some carriers prevent users who actually find the software from controlling what information is sent. So, yeah. That... Do you guys think that maybe this in, that this application could also be on the uh, iPhone 4S now that it's on Sprint and we just haven't heard about it because you can't get under the hood as easily? Exactly, which is another reason I like having more eyes and maybe it not work so well. I'm okay with learning. I'll, I'll teach myself how to fix it. It's all good. I'd rather have that than not knowing at all. Well, what's amazing to us is that, or to me, is that if you look at, at say, for instance, let's, let's assume that you gauge things by Microsoft Windows and how long it took them to get it quote unquote right. I mean, the the first version uh, of Windows uh, that was truly revolutionary and stable XP? compared to products out there XP? was 98. Well, <laughs> okay. Well, for the I'm going to stick with XP, but sure. Uh, well, no, XP, because XP out of the box was horrible. Well, it was XP only after service... you get Service Pack 1 in there was it any good, okay. and 2 was fair, even better. Fair but enough. Fair out enough. Of, to, to be revolutionary and to be stable, it was Windows 98. Well, you that know what was that... version 9. Point something of the Windows operating system. You know what the, that was, though? A lot of that was as the internet, everything was evolving while mm-hmm. they were recreating this you know that it wasn't we didn't have all this interconnectivity when we had 3.1 so they didn't need certain security things they didn't need certain networking things and as things evolved they were like oh crap you know if this is going to be on uh connected to the internet 24 7 we better uh fix some stuff you know and that's right we see these iterations that you know are constantly getting better except for you windows vista well my point being that you 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 take the you, you release for uh, Windows version three point one one and it's fine and then you don't release another one until nine and then that's buggy and then you have to release another version of nine being Windows ninety eight to to fix all the problems you had with the first version right so the the intervening five or six versions were problematic and what what we for some reason forget that Android is not that old. They've just come out with version 4. Yeah, exactly. And we're expecting perfection. Well, I'm not, but yeah. You know, well, what the I mean is, is that it's not a mature product. Because it generally, 
for five, you know, ten years yet. But the thing and, is, but it still has to compete with all the other products. Exactly, you know I mean? and it doesn't matter. And generally, when phones are released, people have had the experience that this works. It's a feature, for, you know, that kind of stuff. They're not, you know, constantly having over-the-air updates and stuff like that. So I think people still. Uh, the the majority of the normal public still kind of holds on to that that when they get this it should be the final version and that's it you know and that's we're kind of we're not living in that way anymore you know it, it's changed and people need to uh, accept the change and go with it and accept that yeah this is going to have some problems but hey when the problems are found they're going to get fixed and you should be reporting errors and sending in, uh, statistics like that to help make the product better yeah but by the time we get around a version you know nine or ten of android we're all we're gonna, gonna be, be dead. you know look we're gonna we're gonna be nitpicking to find new things and problems we're all gonna be dead by the time you know skynet's gonna have its way with us which is fine Skynet or zombies. All right. We have anything else we want to discuss before we throw some apps at y'all? Seth? Joey? No, I'm good. Eric? No, I I will just say, because I didn't get to say it before, when you were asking me about my Transformer, I just want to say I rooted it this week and put a custom ROM on it for the first time. It on, is awesome. On the Transformer, huh? What are you running? On the now? Transformer. Uh, I'm running... Liquid? Ah, crap. Now I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I'm looking it up real quick. It's it's really great because um, a lot of these uh, will have, you know, just like you see on the custom ROMs on the phone, they'll have the uh, the tools already built in uh, to overclock it, uh, or it's already overclocking it. Nice. So this is overclocking the 1 gigahertz uh, dual-core processor, I think, to 1.2. Uh, on each uh, on each processor, just because that's really stable. Yeah. But they can get it up to like 1.5, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I keep my Droid at a low voltage 1.1, and that it's so stable, and I get better battery life compared to the default 1.0 because I think it was using a higher voltage. And yeah, it's and stable. This, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, and it's stable, and that's that may not necessarily be the case for your Droid X or your Droid X, but for mine specifically. A low voltage 1.1 works, and each one is going to be different when you're talking about voltages that you need to to flip the the switch, so to speak. Yeah, and this is the to answer your earlier question. The ROM I'm running is Android Revolution HD. Oh, nice! And it is, I gotta say, it is very beautifully put together. I was using um, that theme, the Revolution. It was the Remix Revolution theme on oh, yeah. uh, the first version of Liberty I ever installed. Well, I think it's just same. throwing it out there, guy. I mean, I know Good it doesn't stuff. really have much to do with anything that we talk about. No, but no, that's I just cool, needed though. to tell somebody <laughs> for sure. It's amazing. Your nerd. Now, the question is: Is does it say Transformer Android oh. in disguise? I hope not. But your no, nerd. If it did that, I'd probably throw it off the balcony. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. That's if it grows legs and tries to climb out the balcony. <laughs> right, Eric. Your nerd cred just went way up with us, so Ooh. it was well worth it. Yeah, because that's what Bonus I need five. is more nerd cred. <laughs> As his girlfriend <laughs> sighs unlovingly. That's right. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, apps. What what uh, what apps have you guys been uh, messing with this week? Who's got one, Joey? Well, I got to cop out and go with the easy pick on this one. If you at all listen to audiobooks, you have got to get the Audible app because it is absolutely phenomenally amazing. In two days, I have listened to an eight-hour book, nice. and 
the it was just incredible. Uh, the book, by the way, was Jeff Dunham's uh, autobiography. Not the so guy. nice, but okay. Well, I tell you, no, 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 it's hilarious because in the audio version, he reads the book. So when the characters speak, oh, he speaks in their voices. Okay, which is just totally cool. So I mean, you know, Ahmed says something in. And and it's Jeff doing Ahmed's voice, so it's it's wonderful. But anyway, all right. So all right. So th- that was my geek moment. But the thing is, is that that is what an app really should be. You buy the book on on Audible site. You hit the refresh button on the app, and there it, it is. It well, there it is, and you hit you 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 tap once, and you can download it. And nice. there it is on the phone. And it's just it's that is the way that all apps should be on a phone. Completely integrated and it just works. The audio quality is good, the pause is good. Every time you pause it and then hit play again, it automatically goes back a second. Just so you didn't accidentally miss something. You know my podcast player, Beyond Pod, does that. I've noticed. But it's kind of random. Like sometimes it will, but sometimes it it starts off right where I left off. But sometimes it's like a few seconds before. I I don't know. It's kind of I'll have to figure that out. Yeah, so there's my non-joke app of the week. And then uh, I guess speaking of while we're talking about Beyond Pod, we just saw here uh, a post on Android Police on the 23rd, which is earlier today. Uh this app like we talked about before is normally 6.99, well worth it. I I feel if you listen to any amount of podcasts and like that automated I, it's, it automatically connects to the Wi-Fi, checks the feeds, downloads everything, and then disconnects the Wi-Fi, and you're ready to go when your alarm goes off, if you use your Android like that. Uh, but it's for the Thanksgiving weekend, November 25th through 27th, it's only a buck ninety-nine. So, hey, Beyond Pod, I want my four ninety-nine. No, I'm kidding. You can have it. But, uh, yeah, good app for that. And then, uh, let's see. If Eric has a pick while I find my actual pick, you <laughs> feel free. Yeah, I got one. And I will say, I... I will be buying Beyond Pod this weekend. Just I really want to check it out, um, but that six ninety nine price point was killing me. I I just don't want to spend that much on an app. I'll tell you, so, it, that is the most expensive app I think I've ever purchased. But because I listen to podcasts all day long, like it was worth it for me. So I've, yeah, I've that gotten... was the only app I've ever purchased. And I gotta say, <laughs> that is awesome. probably the. the it, I went off of Matt's recommendation to use it, and hands down it's been the most stable most configurable downloader and i'm even running a beta i'm not even running a release oh wow and it's just been ridiculous it's great so huh? i i and i bought it at the 699 price yeah and i'm not complaining yeah it's it's good stuff for sure oh and by All the right. way one of the free feeds that you get within it that's built in is the daily uh animated cartoon from dilbert oh really I wiped oh, all yeah. my. Loving I wiped that. all the default feeds. I need to get a hold of that guy and have him put in some of our shows for default. Some jam holes, some uh, Attack of the Androids, some Tech. That's what Rod. I'm saying. That's hell yeah. Some hot box. How about that wonderful, cool show called the Buffer Overflow Show? And the Buffer Overflow Show. Once we get above, over five episodes, sure. Whoop whoop. Bufferoverflowshow.com. I almost finished building the site. <laughs> almost. Nice. <laughs> yeah. What's your app pick, Eric? Yeah. So. Um... This one I actually found out from my brother uh, because it's an app that he downloaded onto his touchpad. It's called um, Malware. <laughs> it's it. called Mal. <laughs> it's a. It's called TuneIn Radio. Um, oh, yeah. And 
I maybe I've just been living under a rock because I really I think I've seen it, but I never really you know looked into it. Um, the basic idea is that uh, you can listen to your local radio stations or global radio stations, whatever streaming on the internet. Uh, it just provides a really simple way to search for those and then stream them to your phone. Uh, the live feeds that are playing on the radio. Nice. So. I decided to screw around with it actually this morning because I was listening to you know a really interesting discussion on the radio, but I had to walk into work, and I'm like, ah, well, I want to listen to the rest of this, so I downloaded TuneIn Radio, and it worked pretty well. Um, I think it's actually pretty cool, and especially when, you know, when we move overseas next month, um, you know, this might be an easy way to you know, keep in touch to the local radio stations maybe back home. Um, you know, there are some really good... Uh, Really good stations. Like, there's a really great alt rock station that comes out of Detroit that I listened to growing up, and I just can't get that anywhere else. Right. So and maybe this app is going to be the answer to that. That's probably good for people like me that live in Montana that have pretty minute choices in what you you have the Bear, which is our country <laughs> station, and then you have like the rock station, and then that's it, and a bunch of Christian stations. So I it, am so upset that a station called the Bear is country music. Yeah, they have things called a Barathon, which ugh. Ugh. Oh no! Ugh. Well, <laughs> I'll throw out there that there is a TuneIn. TuneIn Radio is free. There is a 99 cent pro version. I have no idea what the hell it does. Just supports uh, I, the developer, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could just be like a donation, like hey, you know, throw a dollar in, and you know, as a thank gets you. rid of the um, ads or something. Yeah, I, I have. That might be what it is. Um, I just haven't looked. It doesn't doesn't really say in the description. And I haven't downloaded it or paid for the pro version. So, uh, have fun. TuneIn Radio. Cool. Seth? Mine is kind of another obvious one, but one that I just used this past weekend, and then I forgot about and the, how much how good it was. Um, Gas Buddy? Is it the calendar? Yeah, yeah, right. No, it was just Gas Buddy. Um, I, was, I, was, I drove to San Francisco this week, and I just didn't know where to get gas. So I just hit, you know, there's just like a big button that says, find gas near me now. And um, that's what I did, and it saved me like 20 cents on gas. So... Nice. How accurate did you find that this was? It was pretty accurate, or was it? Well, was it, it was exactly. I, I mean, where I, the city I was in—I forget what city I was in—but <laughs> but, um, like yeah, it was. Diva. All the stations were exactly accurate. So I don't know. Maybe it depends on how many people use it nearby you or whatever. But it definitely was accurate where I mm-hmm. was at that time. So hell yeah, yeah. Um, so it g- saved me saved me like four bucks, I think. Just so that mm-hmm. worked out really well. And now Gas you can buy Beyond on twice. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. sorry. Gas Buddy's beyond uh, built on reporting. So the more people in an area, the more reports you get, the better it is. Right. Uh, so it, that's one of those apps where your experience may vary widely based upon your uh, upon your population center. Up here, it's not as accurate uh, as prices fluctuate within the day. But if you check it like first thing in the morning, just after the morning commute, it's usually dead on. You, you get into the afternoon hours – not so much. No, that's a I'll good. That's it's really good. hopping in in Kalispell, Montana, too. Yeah, there's like three. Got no, there's more than that. But all right. Well, I'm gonna give you guys a game. I, did you ever play on the Game Boy a game called Quicks? Q. I. Oh my God. X. Yes? Seriously? Seriously? Have you? Yeah. Oh You've yeah. seriously heard of that? Oh my God. Yeah, you got the little diamond, yeah. and you have to. Okay. I found a version on Android. It's called Trap. And it's not exactly like Quicks, but it's close enough and it's almost better, I want to say. And on the touch screen, oh man, it's it's great. So the uh, it's called Trap. 
uh, you can Google around for it or go to appbrain.com uh, and and do a search for Trap. But yeah, man, I've I it's one of the first games besides Words Up <laughs> that I ever installed on my OG Droid when I first got Android. And uh, yeah, it's one that I still find myself after all these years going back and playing and still enjoying, much like Words Up. So. Uh, it's called Trap. If you remember Quicks on the old original non-colored Game Boy, uh, you will appreciate it. So I gotta think that 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 would be really fun because the it's I think great. the most frustrating thing with that game was that you were trying to control the stupid little diamond thing right? with a D-pad, and right? with this one you can use your finger. I'm I sure. Know. Oh, it's brilliant! It's brilliant. I love it. Lovely. And if I guess if you wanted the original experience, you could get the Game Boy emulator and then find the ROM or ask me, and I'll send it to you allegedly. So. Uh, yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, any final closing thoughts before we wrap this thing up? I think we should talk more about Republic Wireless. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking for no. <laughs> At least another half hour. At least. Yeah, let's get it going. All right. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> We're absolutely <laughs> not. You can email us at show at attackoftheandroids.com. Check us out. We're over on groovypost.com under the groovy cast sections and find us in iTunes, attackoftheandroids.com. We have a page on Google Plus and we have a Facebook page now that as soon as we get more than 25 people, I can make it facebook.com slash attackoftheandroids. So just go to Facebook, search Attack of the Androids or friend, you know, me. I'm Matt Lee on there. Eric is on there. Joey's on there. You can find any of us if you'd like. I don't can't guarantee that they will accept your friend request, but I will. Uh, I'm all right <laughs> with that. So, uh, and yeah, check out uh, me and Joey show bufferoverflowshow.com. Check out all the other groovy casts over on groovypost.com/groovycast. Uh, you guys got anything you want to plug before we do this? No, I I'd like to throw out that phone number again. I would love to hear some voicemails. You okay, know, is, yeah, is anybody really out there listening? Yeah, th- this is the voicemail line I use for the Hotbox podcast and for the Jamhole podcast. It's four zero six two zero four four six eight seven. Or if you use Skype, just Skype the Jamhole, all one case or all lowercase, all one word, uh, and you can just leave a message and we'll play it on the show. So if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can leave us comments on the show notes over at uh, attackoftheandroids.com or on groovypost.com slash groovycasts or yeah, call us. And uh, pretty soon, I think uh, once we get a few more episodes done and we get these guys some cameras, we'll start trying to do some live shows and then we can get some uh, live real-time audience interaction going. I think that'd be fun. Absolutely. Alright, well thank you guys and we'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Hope everyone has a good, safe Thanksgiving and remember uh, how you took the land from the natives. Just remember that and give thanks. Bye-bye. It's attack of the air.